So Kurt Eichenwald watches hentai. <laughs> Former New York Times reporter contributor. What a, what the fuck ever watches hentai and it's amazing. With his adult sons. With his two adult sons who know karate and are green belts. The art of the empty hand. And the only does it so he can show it to his wife. Y'all, hey, on this on this program, Media Majors, a storytelling podcast about major media. We don't like to yuck anybody's yums. We want you to be happy and live and stand in your chunky, chunky bliss. Now, I'm not trying to, like, define the shape of your bliss. I'm just saying that I want your bliss to be so... Just, like, rich and thick. Like a nougat. Like, yeah, like like a cookie. Y'all, if you watch hentai, just own up to it. Like Samuel Jackson! You don't, exactly, you don't need to, like, tell people, unless if you're asked or caught, hey, just own up to it. Samuel L. Jackson was asked, you watch hentai? And Sam Jackson was like, yeah, you know why? Because I'm Sam Jackson, and I'm a nasty freak. And everybody loved him for it. I just think about the Dark Knight, where you can watch hentai and become the villain. Oh, my or God. Admit, or admit to watching hentai and, see, hentai and seeing yourself become the hero you truly were. Yeah. I love the Dark Knight, but goddamn... I can't get that ideology straight for the life of me. <laughs> I don't get it. Kill everything but save everyone? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with hentai, but you don't get to be Kurt Eichenwald and get away with it. If you are going, oh, no, I'm not going to wa- I'm not watching hentai. I'm just explaining it to my three big sons and my wife. <laughs> like, we're going to all, you know, drag you through the mud like a fish, like in Fisherman's Wife 2, your favorite hentai. Oh, my God. Anyways. What do we, instead of talking about the the fetishes of political pundits, what do we actually do on this program, Liam Sr.? This is a media-based storytelling podcast where you is. see, my name is Liam Sr. I'm a fan of film, television, and show business. And my, my name is Tom Lockney. Had to go two times to get that one right. And <laughs> I really like video games and internet culture. And each week... We research a true story from our preferred mediums and tell it to each other. And Liam is going first this week. All right, Liam, tell me a story. All right, man. I'm going to start this story with a quote. When all the 17-year-olds become 22-year-olds, he'll have faded. But right now, he is right now. Mika, an NYC drag queen, when asked about Leonardo DiCaprio in a 1998 New York Magazine article. Oh, wow, we're talking about Leo, huh? Leo and his boys, huh? We are talking about Leo and his boys. Ooh, this is this is going to be a real chunky one. I don't think it's going to be Chunky Bliss. No, it's going to be Chunky Piss. Oh, Jesus, God. Like a warm bisque out of your limp cock, Tom. All right. Chain is giving me the worst look in the world. I, I am like <sighs> the opposite of Wordsworth. Part one. Nice! Nice. Part one. Born a Leo. Oh, wow. November 11th, 1974. Not when Leos are born. Leonardo Wilhelm DiCaprio is born. He started appearing in commercials, soap operas, and TV sitcoms in bit parts in the early 90s before embarking on a film career with roles in Critters 3, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, and Titanic. And Romeo and Juliet. And Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, well, that was one of his earlier roles, wasn't it? Same with Man in the Iron Mask, a couple of other movies. But 
by the end of the 90s, he was literally the king of the world. Just like his stupid scene in that stupid Big Boat Iceberg movie. There was bonafide Leomania and Leomaniacs to boot. He was the heartthrob. I remember this, actually. When I was in, I think it would have been middle school, I sat next to this girl who, in her desk, had photos of the famous male celebrity actors that she had crushes on. One of them was Orlando Bloom, of course. Um, So whenever she would open her desk, they would fly out, and and you would be able to see them. And one of them was, you betcha, Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, I don't know. You can't, I don't know if you can, like, blame a fifth grade straight girl for having a crush on leonardo dicaprio at that time part two we're getting the posse together in the mid 90s a group of young actors kept bumping into each other at auditions leonardo dicaprio fresh off small roles on growing pains and critters 3 would run into toby mcguire lucas haas and kevin Connolly. but instead of becoming rivals they banded together a little competition rose up between them an anonymous actor told nancy joe sales in her legendary new york profile Leo, Prince of the City. They were always betting on who would blow up first. Making it was primary among the group, but as can be expected of any bright, young, good-looking group of guys with the world at their fingertips, having fun and being seen was almost as important. Night outs would include sneaking into Victoria's Secret events in NYC, impromptu trips to Vegas, setting off stink bombs at Sky Bar, and always chasing girls. All right, all right, all right. Sounds like a real healthy friendship, just a a bunch of good, wholesome boys, huh? See, uh, Leo and Tobey Maguire actually go back a a ways away. They were 12 when they became best friends. They're both child actors, and after meeting him through auditions... Tobey Maguire stopped aging, which is why even to this day... Honestly, they both have stopped. Like, Leonardo DiCaprio, there's Kid heartthrob and then like he just grew a goatee and then it's like okay heartthrob with grotee grotee jesus christ (laughs) can't say words i'm so the best puns are the ones that you stumble into this is true dicaprio and mcguire were 12 when they became best friends after meeting him through auditions dicaprio was drawn to mcguire because of their shared experiences both were raised in los angeles by single moms when i want someone to be my friend i just make them my friend dicaprio told esquire in 2014 when 12-year-old DiCaprio saw McGuire shooting in L.A., I literally jumped out of the car. I was like, Toby, Toby, hey, hey. And he was like, oh, yeah, I know you. You're that guy. But I just made him my pal. From there, DiCaprio and McGuire befriended other actors in their peer group, as well as a, soul, a whole kind of group of up-and-coming folks. So here's, like, the main core members of this gang. It was Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes. Toby McGuire. Yes. We all know who they are. So then you've got Kevin Connolly, E from Entourage is where he's kind of well known, which is kind of uh, kind of fun because he was in a Entourage. Lucas Haas was the kid in Witness. He's the kingpin in Brick. He's a, a sort of an indie guy. J.R. Ferguson, who I believe plays Stan in Mad Men, that's that was like his big thing. He's a really cool actor. And then there was a couple of people who weren't really actors but were involved, such as Harmony Corinne. Whoa. Yeah, I knew that, that one would get you. Makes a lot of sense. Then you ready for my personal favorite? Please hit me with that personal favorite. I want you to guess what their profession is. Male porn star? It was street magician David Blaine. Fuck you. David's friends with Leo? David Blaine was part of Hey David. David? 
David, if you're listening, I swear to fucking God, what you do isn't magic. It's scary. You put a cup in your mouth and then hope that you don't get shot in the face. David, you've done it all already. It's okay. Don't hurt yourself, David. Liam, tell me what the name of this this grotesque flock is. When Frank Sinatra was hanging out with Dean Martin and Sam God James damn it, I knew it was some rat They called them the Rat Pack. When Will Ferrell and Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn oh, and Ben Stiller no. made comedies, they were known as the Frat Pack. Who were these guys? Well, they were, of course, Double P, the Pussy Posse. <laughs> Liam, that's a lot. This story to is called Leo's Pussy pussy posse oh my god the labia lads the vulva vagabonds i have fun with him that's for sure leo said of david blaine he'll do some pretty fucking crazy things he's like a monkey (laughs) with electrodes stuffed to his head oh my god david stop it you're hurting yourself his ted talk is fantastic everybody should watch it Leo worried about his image. I don't want to be thought of as a party animal, he said. Well, too fucking late for that, my guy. Well, no, this was from Leo Prince in the City, so it was super too fucking late. This was from, like, Uh. the article. In March of, I think, 98, Leo and the posse reportedly bombarded paparazzi with grapes from upstairs at the Mercer Hotel. So that's, like, the kind of antics that they get up to. The pussy posse didn't get its name for nothing. When you're my age, DiCaprio says in the Leonardo DiCaprio album, I didn't know what that was. I didn't feel like it needed further investigation. I feel like whatever it is in our heads is going to be better than what it's going to be. Your hormones are just kicking in, and there's not much besides sex on your mind. Okay, Leo. The Gossip Mail has produced a cannonball run of beauty supposedly linked to Leo. Alicia Silverstone, Juliette Lewis, Kate Moss, Kate Winslet, who when asked about this said, To me, he's just smelly, farty Leo. Which is the best response. Kate Winslet fucking rules. Demi Moore, Claire Danes, Bridget Hall, who said nothing happened. Sharon Stone. Yeah. All of these women were linked to, like, Leo, who was maybe 19 to something at the time. I don't know. It's just kind of skeezy, I think. That feels feels probably like tabloid bullshit to me. Most of it was tabloid bullshit. I think he, like, was more of a supermodels kind of guy. Still is. Part three. Actors actually acting. When you act and hang out with actors, eventually someone's going to eventually say that they should all make a movie together. Mm. So they did. The independent film is a black and white disaster called Dawn's Plum. Oh, um, is this a movie about a man's prostate? No. Because that's what it super sounds like, Liam. With an ensemble cast featuring DiCaprio, Maguire, and all of the people in the Pussy Posse, including also also including like amber benson from buffy the vampire slayer is in it oh weird um like a bunch of actors are in it Hmm. the largely improv improvisatory film don't do this don't (laughs) do this okay i love and perform improv and it's great and i love it do not unless you are a christopher fucking guest do not make an improvised movie they never work (laughs) movies adhere to structure improv adheres to following a thing that's funny in a moment it doesn't work Liam is very animated right now and he's a very angry boy Tom the reason I get angry is because this movie is just Leonardo DiCaprio and Tobey Maguire at their horniest having terrible horrible conversations to and about women 
for an hour and a half. The characters converge at a rundown Hollywood diner to compare notes on masturbation, harangue fellow customers, and generally behave like young people do in movies they write themselves. That's a great line I lifted from this article about the (laughs) the movie. I just thought it deserved it. The movie, so it was originally called Saturday Night Club. It was called Don's Plum. The characters sit around, smoke talk, say bro a lot, insult waitresses, try to have sex with girls in the back room, fight. And stimulate Don's prostate. Yes. Is directed by former posse member R.D. Rob, who should just go into porn. Rob <laughs> Rob, it's right there. He was recently expelled from the Pussy Posse, probably because of this movie. You see, in 1995, they were filming it, and then it was going to be released three years later in 1998 when Maguire and DiCaprio had sort of made it, and their publish- publicists and managers were like, hey, we can't let this movie get out. No, You come off in it, it so badly, we need to destroy it. Destroy every copy. Throw it into the sea. Burn it up in the sun. They suppressed any distribution. They bought up all the copies. The director and uh, R.D. Robb and producer um, David Stutman filed a $10 million lawsuit in L.A. Superior Superior Court concerned that uh, improvisational comments he had made during the film revealed personal experiences and tendencies that would undermine his public image. So Leo and him basically blocked it. Now, David Stutman claims that Leo really liked the film, and he jumped out of his seat several times laughing, clapping, and high-fiving his friends. The film was pulled from Sundance. Miramax is no longer interested in investing. Maguire and DiCaprio's campaign against the movie uh, totally worked. Eventually, the case was settled. The film was not released in the U.S. or Canada. Fellow producer Dale Wheatley told IndieWire at the time the filmmakers amicably agreed on a settlement. Everyone's happy. But somewhere along the line, Wheatley had a uh, change of heart because he began streaming the movie free without any charge on freedonsplum.com. Holy shit. With a huge open letter asking DiCaprio to withdraw his opposition. Uh, I saw parts of the movie on YouTube. The whole movie is on YouTube, but it's, like, really hard to sit through because I think, like, it's it's something's going on it's it keeps restarting and stuff mm-hmm. and in the comments dale wheatley said uh if you actually want to see this before leo pulls it down go to freedonsplum.com and i can email you like an actual link to a protected copy of the wow. movie i don't recommend doing this because i've watched a good 20 minutes of the movie it's very bad that's that is some next level spite holy shit uh part four is why do i do these things i tried to watch don plum it's bad it's misogynist it's icky so part five, we're getting the posse back together. 2016, Tobey Maguire gets divorced from his wife, Jennifer Meyer. And then an article appears. Oh no. Leonardo DiCaprio and his band of Mary Man children last surfaced at the 2016 Oscars, where DiCaprio celebrated his long-awaited recognition from the Oscars. And like all accomplished Academy winning actors, DiCaprio brought a gang of boisterous adult bros to celebrate with him. This included Lucas Haas and Tobey Maguire who rebranded their name and began to chant when they went out to go party, Wolf Pack, Wolf Pack, Wolf Pack, Grown Adults. Spider-Man did this. And they engaged in typical 40-something-year-old man activities, ritualistic chanting, screaming the name of their friend group, passing back puffs on Leah's vaping pipe. (laughs) Incredible article. Be more of a caricature, guys. Part six, a bad influence. The father of two, Tobey Maguire, uh, apparently has been seen with and without Leo hitting LA clubs for months. He's been seen partying with 18-year-old Instagram star Sophia Ritchie. 
and it is assumed that he is being coached by the infamously lecherous Leo into living his post-divorce dream. Oh boy! As bros. Listen, I divorces. I I I have not been through a divorce. I can understand that breakups are rough if you're that age and your buddy is like, "Go sleep with these eighteen-year-olds." I feel like that person's not my friend they're, anymore. They're Gatsby and Nick. Yeah, but that's super fucking creepy. A source told Page Six that these two people are the best of friends. There is no third party involved and there is no animosity. He's just going to clubs with Leo. That's what happens. Friendship. It's a beautiful thing. Part 7. When I googled Leonardo DiCaprio to get his basic info, I found an article that said Leonardo DiCaprio, the president of Mexico, and the richest man in Mexico are teaming up to save a porpoise. So when I googled Leonardo DiCaprio to get more information for this story, I found an article about how Leonardo DiCaprio, the Mexican president, and the richest man in Mexico are teaming together to save a porpoise. That's amazing. What's the problem? What's the porpoise problem? The porpoise problem is that this porpoise is the vaquita porpoise is just critically endangered, and they want to save it. So now they're the porpoise posse. I thought they were talking about a single porpoise. Did you hear what I called them, though? The porpoise posse? The porpoise posse. And that's where the, our story the ends. The porpoise posse. <laughs> the porpoise posse. <laughs> well, I'm glad that some porpoises... By the way, you might be noticing I'm saying porpoises a lot. Here's a recurring bit on the show. Sometimes Tom hears and says a mouth sound that he really enjoys, and porpoise is super duper duper one of those words. Cecil B. So yeah, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but after my big two-parter, I've decided to just do light stories. Yeah. Where I just get to make silly goof-em-up jokes and not talk about murder. Well, Liam, thank you very much. You're welcome very much. For your wonderful story. I think it's time, though, that we heard from another podcast on the Major Cast Network. Take it away, boys! Do you find yourself unable to watch television? Who has the time? Well, luckily, we do. I'm Liam Sr. I'm Josh Phillips. We host a podcast where we watch old canceled TV for For you. Musty TV, every Thursday on the Major Cast Network. My father says we're crazy. My mother won't talk to me anymore. The boys took it away. They took it the damn away. Yeah, all the way up to... Canada. The three boys who could it possibly be? <laughs> there are only three of them. All right. You know what, it, guys? Guess what? After Liam goes, I go. It's my turn. Chapter one. Mask on mascot. Whoa. Mask on mascot? In 1980, Pac-Man becomes one of the first great mascots of video games. While his name and visage have endured through the ages, he was not the one to popularize game mascots, largely due to the dwindling appeal of arcades at the end of their golden era. Additionally, the North American video game crash of 1983 damaged confidence in the video game market as a whole, so people had bigger problems to deal with than deciding whether or not to hop on mascot marketing. Ah, Tom, just feed me these pellets and the fruit. Feed them. In 1985... 1985... Never be sorry for singing that song. It's a beautiful, wonderful song, and anybody that says otherwise can fuck right off. Thank you. Also, I think I know what our closing credits music is this week. Hell yeah. In 1985, Nintendo releases the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System, and the video game market is revitalized. Not only that, they become exceedingly popular due to the NES's accessibility in the home market. 
Though the NES was home to many different intellectual properties, the most popular of the bunch was easily Mario. Exactly. And his far underappreciated brother Luigi. Uh, I, okay. I want this on record. We here at Media Majors believe that Luigi is better than Mario. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not even a fucking question. And it is at this point that the 90s video game mascot craze kicks off. Chapter 2. Back in the 90s, I was in a very Very famous famous video video game. game. There we go. Nice. Nice. Fucking nailed it. One oh try. God. One take. Is this the last episode? Can we top this? The 90s video game mascot craze is a trend of developers and publishers attempting to follow Nintendo's suit and establish a mascot to link with their brand. Technically, the mascot craze actually begins in 89 with Alex Kidd. You, Liam, you remember Alex Kidd, all the days we spent as kids playing oh Alex Kidd, doing the things that you do in the Alex Kidd video game. Oh, man, I still have an Alex Kid pair of boxer shorts that I jack off into. <laughs> I still take my Alex Kid lunchbox with me every single day to work. And everybody says, hey, who's that Alex Kid guy you got on your lunchbox? And I go, you fools, it's Alex Kid. Nobody fucking knows or remembers who Alex Kid was because it was the lamest mascot. It was literally just a small blonde child. Anyways, here are... Some of the mascots from the 90s mascot craze. Croc, Cool Spot, Sonic the Hedgehog, Pepsi Man, Earthworm Jim, Zero the Kamikaze Squirrel, Glover, Arrow the Acrobat, Crash Bandicoot, Gex the Gecko, voiced by Dana Carvey, fun fact. The Noid. Yeah, just too many. I know. Just, there are too many of these. One such mascot was, of course, Bubsy the Bobcat. Oh, yes. I've been sitting on this egg. Ah, You picked such a perfect time for it to hatch. For days, and it is hatching, and it is my beautiful son, Bubsy the Bobcat, a bright orange anthropomorphic bobcat with a red exclamation point emblazoned white t-shirt, no pants. Uh, Better than Garfield. Better than Heathcliff. If we're talking orange cats, if we're talking orange cats, it's Bubsy or nothing. Listeners, I learned who Bubsy was like four days ago. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Like, Garfield is thick as fuck, and I'm down for that. But nobody's got got Bubsy's wit or his charm or his beautiful t-shirt. Okay. Edit this out. Tom? Yeah? Pam head, Garf body, Garf head, Pam body. Hello, listeners of Media Majors. If you'd enjoy being privy to the discussion of Pam Head Garf Body versus Garf Head Pam Body between myself, Thomas Lockney, and my wonderful co-host, Liam Sr., stay tuned until after the end theme of this episode of Media Majors. Hope to see you there, but only if you're nasty. Chapter 3. The best of the purst. Fuck me, that hurt to say. Uh, Tom. (laughs) The best of a cat situation. (laughs) Feline frenzy. Feline fine. So many other options you could have do. Bubsy's first game was developed and published by Accolade and was released on the Super NES. 
1993. This game was titled Bubsy in Claws Encounters of the Furred Kind. Yes! Hey, Bubsy, I like your style. Oh, I like I like the song you're singing. That tune is gorgeous. Also, hey, Liam. Yes. This game yes. is dumb as hell. <laughs> I love it even more. Liam, if you had to just like spit some shit off your dome, tell me, what's the natural enemy of a bobcat? Oh, man. Um, the housing market. The enemy in this game is an alien or an alien race called Woolies. Also, not only is it chock full of terrible pop culture puns, it's also just like a really poorly designed game. Hey, do you know what I like in my 2D platformers? Insta-kill fall damage. Oh, wait. So like uh, platform to platform? Yeah, like if you jump too high and like fall too far, you will just die. Lame. It's, It's perfection. I love it. I love this stupid, terrible game. I, really what it is, is bad Sonic the Hedgehog. So kind of like modern Sonic the Hedgehog. I was about to say, so Shadow the Hedgehog. Despite its middling scores, <laughs> Bubsy released two sequels just a year later. Yeah, so you can tell they really know what they're doing with this franchise. The same year as the release of Bubsy 2 and Bubsy in Fractured Furry Tales. That's not even a pun. Get nope. the fuck out of here with that noise, please. The first PlayStation Home Entertainment console is released, which means 3D graphics. And the 3D craze happens. So everybody scrambles to adapt their existing 2D franchises onto the new 3D format. Bubsy is one such franchise to try to make the jump to 3D, and this results in Bubsy 3D, the Forbidden Planet. Nope. Nice. Night nice. nice. Losing the losing the style. The objective of the game is to defeat the Woolies' two queens, Polly and Esther. <laughs> okay. Wait. Oh, I just got it. Polly Esther. I just yep. put it together. There you go. Oh. Hey Liam. Hey Tom. Got some links for you, bud. Oh, no. Is it gonna be Bubsy porn? I really hope it isn't Bubsy porn. If it's I actually seriously considered showing you some Bubsy porn, and I decided to spare you. Thank you, Tom. Liam, I thought I'd just ask, just so we can paint like a a little word picture for the listeners who who are not familiar with Bubsy 3D and its aesthetics, just kind of like what you're looking at here, Uh, because it's real bad. uh, You ever heard of this little thing called MS Paint? Because this looks worse. Yeah. (laughs) Y'all, Bubsy 3D is ugly as sin. It's aggressively against you like i feel like i'm in trouble it looks like the general auto insurance go to the general and save some time and and i don't want i don't mean to like get mean about this necessarily because like literally people still had no fucking idea what 3d games were they had to account for an entirely other access which fundamentally changes everything and turns out doing a rush job on a middling franchise in an era where people were like literally learning the basics of coding 3d on consoles didn't result in a quality product despite this the game actually reviewed generally well like it got good reviews this i mean this was like the mid 90s the bar was still extremely low people still think that mario 64 is a good video game and it's not 
In more, <laughs> Tom liked it, giving his strong opinions on video games. I like it. In more recent years, the game has obviously been heavily criticized, focusing largely on the gameplay, the graphics, the controls, and the personality of Bubsy, Bubsy himself. So basically everything. You could have just said it's been criticized for the game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like Liam, I just showed you screenshots. Like, believe you me, you do not want to see this bad boy in motion. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not joking. I played this once very briefly many moons ago, and it. It looks like it'll make me barf. It hurt. Yeah, like it hurts to play. The frame rate is so poorly optimized that everything is just like, it's it's nauseating. It's like it's like difficult to look at and interact with. Now we never got another Bubsy. But not because of the franchise itself. Publisher and developer Accolade shuttered its doors in the late 1990s when they were purchased by Infogrames, who chose to discontinue the Bubsy franchise. Epilogue. You've gotta be kidding me. Yay! So that was the end of Bubsy until June 8th, 2017. That's right, baby. Bubsy is back. A trailer was released announcing Bubsy the Wooly Strike back. It don't look too good, Liam. It looks sick. But f- I, who gives a fuck? Bubsy is back. Bubsy has an Instagram page now with a single post. Quote, it's like Bubsy never left. The world's most recognizable bobcat is back. Editorialized. Not going to dispute that. Definitely the most, world's most recognizable bobcat. Continue quote. Not even nine lives could hold this sack of capital F fur down end quote that don't make a whole lot of sense why would having nine lives hold him down shouldn't it be the fact that do bobcats get nine lives i don't think they do i think only regular cats get nine lives i'm pretty sure that's in the cat mythos excuse me meowthos fuck you fuck you just had the best pun of the whole episode liam fucking you you're fucking crushing it and you know why? It's because Bubsy is back. Because Bubsy is life back. And energy. Bubsy's fucking back. Oh my god, this is like a surge of electricity through my body. There, by the way, there was also a fictitious Q and A sent out to the games press. Here's an excerpt. Read everything. Oh, and that's the thing. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find the full Q and A. And because these fucking hacks at Kotaku. That's right. That's right. Gita Jackson, you're getting called out. Gita Jackson's an excellent writer, and I respect and adore her writing. Um, Positive she call did not put, out. She did. She refused to publish the full Bubsy Q and A, as did everybody else who's written about this. So here's the only excerpt I could find. Reporter, mm. it's a platforming game, right? Yeah. Bubsy. I'm gonna do my best Bubsy impression here. Running, jumping, gliding—they're all metaphors for life. Just as Mario. Reporter, do you know Mario? Oh my Bubsy. God. Yes. No. What's your point? Bubsy's back. Bubsy is back. Bubsy is back. back. It's 2017, and fucking nothing matters anymore. Because Bubsy's back. Yeah. Hey, now, my Bubsy's back. And that's my story for this week. Is that Bubsy's motherfucking back, yo? Anyways. Anyways. On this show, sometimes, not always, but sometimes. Not today, motherfucker. Not, not fucking today. We talk about... Sometimes rough stuff, and so we like to balance it out with a segment that we like to call self-care corner, where Liam and I talk about just like a nice thing that brightened our day, or brightened our week, or it's just a nice thing in our lives. If you would like to send in a self-care corner, email mediamagerspodcast at gmail.com. Liam, would you like to go first this week? I would. 
my self-care corner is uh, I got an email a couple of days ago from an old college professor who needed an assistant for this uh, a TV pilot writing boot camp uh, thing she does. So I got to be her assistant today for monies and to also catch up and hang out with her. And it was quite fun. And oh. I got to give notes and talk about television. Some of my That's favorite nice. things to do because I'm a big old nerd. And that is my self-care corner. My self-care corner for this week is, y'all, I'm going to fucking Cali for E3. Do you know? I, like, like really, though, like, I have to express, I have grown up watching, like, E3 press conference. Okay, anybody who doesn't know, E3 is the Electronic Entertainment Expo, and it's basically the biggest gaming convention there is in America, or in the U.S., rather. And... Like I've been, I've spent like most of my life watching the pressers and just voraciously reading about this event that I was never able to go to, and they just fucking open it up to the public, and I got a fucking ticket, and I'm going tomorrow to California to go to E fucking three, where I will probably meet the people who I have been reading and reading about for most of my adolescent and all of my adult life and y'all like that is the fucking here's how you know i'm a huge dorcas malorcas is i could meet beyonce in the street and i would go hey beyonce like you're fucking dope dude, as hell dude and you're cool you, and <laughs> what are you talking th- about but if i meet if i meet fucking like austin walker i oh I my will, god like Tom. melt you said literally the same thing when you did your self-care corner on getting tickets to E3. And it's still true, dog! You made the Beyonce-Austin Walker comparison. Uh, I love it. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Media Majors. Yeah. Uh, make sure to check out the other podcasts on the Major Network. Absolutely. Major Cast Network. <laughs> Sorry. Bit, bit sleepy. Major Cats Major Network? Cats. Meowger Cats network <laughs> okay i think i think the responsible thing to do at this point would be to shut this podcast down thanks everybody for listening you can follow us at media majors cast on twitter our facebook is the major cast network uh, as, as we said before media majors podcast at gmail.com if you want to email us leave us a review at a rating on itunes don't got to be long just got to be like a sentence it really helps us out if you do we'll put you on shout out section And, as always, remember, Bowling for Soup. We'll be there for soup. Okay, edit this out. Tom? Pam head, garf body, garf head, Pam body. (laughs) Maybe don't edit this out. (laughs) Oh, this in at the end as a bonus. Um... (laughs) Look, we're both going to choose, so, like... Okay. Nobody gets to shame us for this. Nope. Especially not if you listen to My Brother, My Brother, and Me. Um, I think we're going to say it on three, all right? All right? One, two, three. Pam, Pam Body Garfhead! It, uh, it has to be! I just, like... I couldn't. I couldn't if it was a cat's body. I couldn't if it was a because cat's body. Because I would feel so I would feel so transgressive in such a sick way. If Garf Body Pam Head was a thing, would it sound like a cat or would it speak with Pamela Anderson's voice? The less we know, the better. To quote oh, the Tame Impalas. Christ.
well, everybody, I guess now you know which side we come down on on the as the debate rages eternal. Fuck Don't me. say rages. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Media Majors. We love you. Uh-huh.